section sixteen of library of the world's best literature ancient and modern volume nine this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by dion gines salt lake city utah library of the world's best literature ancient and modern volume nine section sixteen rufus choate seventeen ninety nine to eighteen fifty nine by albert stickney rufus choate one of the greatest if not the greatest of advocates who have appeared at the english or american bar was one of the most remarkable products of what is ordinarily considered hard prosaic matter-of-fact new england he was a man quite apart from the ordinary race of lawyers or new englanders he was as different from the typical new englander as was hawthorne or emerson he had the imagination of a poet and to his imagination singular as it may seem was largely due his success in handling questions of fact before juries he was born of good old english stock in the southeastern part of the town of ipswich in the county of essex and state of massachusetts on the first day of october seventeen ninety nine his ancestors had lived in essex county from a very early date in its history and had filled important public positions he was born and bred in sight of the sea and his love for it stayed with him through life one of his most eloquent addresses was on the romance of the sea and in his last illness at halifax his keenest pleasure was to watch the ships sailing in front of his windows dropping into sleep on one occasion a few days before his death he said to his attendant if a schooner or sloop goes by don't disturb me but if there is a square-rigged vessel wake me mr choate had the ordinary education then given in new england to young men who had a love of learning he began with the district school from there he went to the academy at hampton new hampshire and later he entered dartmouth college where he graduated the first scholar in his class in eighteen nineteen it is hard to find an accurate standard of comparison between the scholarship of that period and that of the present no doubt in our new england colleges of to-day there is a larger number of young men who have a considerable store of knowledge on many subjects of classical learning but it is very doubtful if the graduates of harvard and yale of to-day are able to read the standard classic authors at the day of their graduation with the ease and accuracy of mr choate at the end of his active professional career in the year eighteen fifty nine his continued devotion to the classics is shown by the following extract from his journal in the year eighteen forty four while he was a member of congress one some professional work must be done every day 
recent experiences suggest that i ought to be more familiar with evidence and cohen's phillips therefore daily for half an hour i will thumb conscientiously when i come home again in the intervals of actual employment my recent methods of reading accompanying the reports with the composition of arguments upon the points adjudged may be properly resumed two in my greek latin and french readings odyssey thucydides tacitus juvenal and some french orator or critic i need make no change so too milton johnson burke semper in manu utmos est to my greek i ought to add a page a day of crosby's grammar and the practice of parsing every word in my few lines of homer on sunday the greek testament and septuagint and french this and the oration of the crown which i will completely master translate annotate and commit will be enough in this kind if not i will add a translation of a sentence or two from tacitus a similar extract from his journal under the date of december fifteenth eighteen forty four reads i begin a great work thucydides in bloomfield's new edition with the intention of understanding a difficult and learning something from an instructive writer something for the more and more complicated interior interstate american politics with thucydides i shall read Waxmouth with historical references and verifications showman on the assemblies of the athenians especially i am to meditate and master danier's horace ode one eleventh to fourteenth line translation and notes a pocket edition to be always in pocket throughout his life mr choate kept up his classical studies few of the graduates of our leading colleges to-day carry from commencement a training which makes the study of the greek and latin authors either easy or pleasant mr choate like nearly every lawyer who has ever distinguished himself at the english bar was a monument to the value of the study of the classics as a mere means of training for the active practical work of a lawyer mr choate studied law at cambridge in the harvard law school nearly a year he spent at washington in the office of mr wirt then attorney-general of the united states this was in eighteen twenty one thereafter he was admitted to the bar in september eighteen twenty three he opened his office in salem but soon removed to danvers where he practised for four or five years during these earliest years of his professional life he had the fortune which many other brilliant men in his profession have experienced that of waiting and hoping during his first two or three years it is said he was so despondent as to his chances of professional success that he seriously contemplated abandoning the law in time he got his opportunity to show the stuff of which he was made his first professional efforts were in petty cases
before justices of the peace very soon however his great ability and his untiring industry and his intense devotion to any cause in his hands brought the reputation which he deserved and reputation brought clients in eighteen twenty eight he removed to salem the essex bar was one of great ability mr choate at once became a leader among his contemporaries at that bar was caleb cushing mr choate at first had many criminal cases in the year eighteen thirty he was with mr webster one of the counsel for the prosecution in the celebrated white murder case in eighteen thirty he was elected to congress as a member of the house of representatives at the age of thirty-one years at once he laid out a course of study which was to fit him for the duties of his public life an extract from it reads as follows november four eighteen thirty facienda ad munus nuper impositum one personal qualities memory daily food and cowper dum ambulo voice manner excitations derne two current politics in papers one com nautilus daily geography etc two annual register past intelligencers etc four civil history of united states in pitkin and original sources five examination of pending questions tariff public lands indians nullifications six american and britain eloquence writing practice then follow in his manuscript upwards of twenty pages of close writing consisting of memoranda and statements drawn from a multitude of sources on the subjects laid down by him at the beginning as the ones to be investigated in congress he found himself in competition with many men of marked ability among the members of congress then from massachusetts were mr webster in the senate and in the house john quincy adams edward everett nathan appleton george n briggs and john davis in the senate from other states were peleg sprague from maine one of the ablest jurists this country has produced samuel prentice mr marcy mr dallas mr clayton mr clay and mr benton in the house were james m wayne mr mcduffie mr polk mr corwin and mr verplank among men of this caliber mr choate at once with ease took rank as one of the first he made but two speeches during the session but these gave him a position which he ever afterwards held among the most eloquent and convincing speakers in public life in april eighteen thirty three mr choate was re-elected to congress at this session he made a speech on the removal of the public deposits by president jackson from the bank of the united states 
the following incident shows his power as an orator benjamin hardin was then a member from kentucky of the house of representatives and was himself intending to speak on the same side of the question with mr choate in such cases mr hardin's rule was to listen to no other speaker before speaking himself consequently when mr choate began speaking mr hardin started to leave the house he waited however for a moment to listen to a few sentences from mr choate and with this result as told in his own words the member from massachusetts rose to speak and in accordance with my custom i took my hat to leave lingering a moment just to notice the tone of his voice and the manner of his speech but that moment was fatal to my resolution i became charmed by the music of his voice and was captivated by the power of his eloquence and found myself wholly unable to move until the last word of his beautiful speech had been uttered at the close of this session mr choate resigned his seat in congress and went to boston there to follow the practice of his profession at the boston bar he met a remarkably brilliant group of men there were jeremiah mason whom mr webster is said to have considered the strongest man that he ever met in any legal contest franklin dexter chief justice shaw then at the bar judges wilde hoare and thomas afterwards of the massachusetts supreme court mr fletcher judge benjamin r curtis sidney bartlett richard h dana william d sawyer henry w payne edward d sawyer with others whose names are now almost forgotten these men formed a bar the like of which has seldom if ever been assembled in any one jurisdiction here too mr choate at once came to the front with every talent which could make a man a great advocate with a marvellous memory a keen logical intellect a sound legal judgment he had now acquired a large professional experience and a very complete professional training as has been seen he had a thorough classical training that is of the kind best fitted to his needs his professional studies before beginning his professional practice had been the best then attainable very possibly for him they were quite as good as can be had at any of the law schools of to-day his range of reading and information was extremely wide he had had several years of experience at washington in congress and ever since leaving the law school his mere professional studies had been most severe it is hard to see how any man could be better equipped for professional practice than mr choate was at this time his success at the boston bar was phenomenal he was in a contest with giants mr webster alone could be deemed to dispute with mr choate the place of supremacy the general verdict has been 
that for pure intellectual power mr webster was the superior but it may well be doubted whether as an all-round advocate mr choate did not carry off the palm the common idea of mr choate has been that his marvellous eloquence was his great source of strength and success in his forensic contests this is an error eloquent he undoubtedly was few men have ever been more so but unless in frontier communities eloquence alone has never commanded great success at the bar if indeed it has ever existed without strong logical power and sound judgment the power of convincing intelligent men always depends largely and mainly on soundness of judgment in the selection of positions especially this is so in the profession of the law there have been no doubt many instances where men of eloquence have captivated juries by appeals to passion or prejudice but in the vast majority of cases success as an advocate cannot be had without sound judgment in the selection of positions coupled with the power of clear logical statement mr choate was no exception to this rule mr henry w payne one of the leaders of the boston bar in mr choate's time himself one of the most logical of men once said that he did not care to hear mr choate address a jury but to hear him argue a bill of exceptions before the full bench of the supreme court was one of the greatest intellectual treats with the ordinary twelve men in a jury-box mr choate was a wizard his knowledge of human nature his wide and deep sympathies his imagination his power of statement with his rich musical voice and his wonderful fascination of manner made him a charmer of men and a master in the great art of winning verdicts so far as the writer is able to form an opinion there has never been at the english or american bar a man who has been his equal in his sway over juries comparisons are often condemned but they are at times useful comparing mr choate with mr webster it must be conceded that mr webster might at times carry a jury against mr choate by his force of intellect and the tremendous power of his personal presence mr o'connor once said that he did not consider mr webster an eloquent man mr webster he said was an intellectual giant but he never impressed me as being an eloquent man the general judgment is that mr webster had eloquence of a very high order but mr choate was a magician with any opponent of his time except mr webster he was irresistible before juries mr justice catron of the united states court is reported to have said of mr choate i have heard the most eminent advocates but he surpasses them all his success came from a rare combination of eloquence sound logical judgment and great powers of personal fascination 
in another respect the common opinion of mr choate must be corrected his great powers of persuasion and conviction undoubtedly gave him some victories which were not deserved by the mere merits of his cases from this fact there went abroad the impression that he was a man without principle and that his ethical standards were not high in his selection and conduct of cases this impression is quite contrary to the judgment of the competent the impression was due largely to his success in the celebrated defence of tyrrell tyrrell was indicted for the murder of a woman named bickford with whom tyrrell had long associated who was found dead in a house of ill repute at about the hour when the woman lost her life either by her own hand or by that of tyrrell the house caught fire the cause of the fire was not proved tyrrell had been in her company the preceding evening and articles of clothing belonging to him were found in the morning in her room many circumstances seemed to indicate that the woman had been killed by tyrrell he was also indicted for arson in setting fire to the house in addition to other facts proved by the defence it was shown by reputable witnesses that tyrrell had from his youth been subject to somnambulism and one of the positions taken by mr choate for the defence was that the killing if done by tyrrell at all was done by him while unconscious in a condition of somnambulism tyrrell was tried under both indictments and was acquitted on both the indictment for murder was tried before justices wilde dewey and hubbard the indictment for arson was tried before chief justice shaw and justices wilde and dewey the foreman of the jury stated that the defence of somnambulism received no weight in the deliberations of the jury the judgment of the profession has been that the verdicts were the only ones which could properly have been rendered on the evidence in the arson case the charge to the jury was by chief justice shaw and was strongly in favour of the defence no doubt the defence was extremely able and ingenious but the criticisms against mr choate for his conduct of those cases in the opinion of those members of the profession best qualified to judge have been held to be without good foundation lawyers that is reputable ones do not manufacture evidence nor are they the witnesses who testify to facts the severe tests of cross-examination usually elicit the truth no one ever charged mr choate with manufacturing evidence and no lawyer of good judgment so far as the writer is aware has ever charged him with practices which were not in keeping with the very highest professional standards in the space here allotted any attempt to give an adequate idea of mr choate's professional and public work is quite out of the question in addition to the conduct of an unusually large professional practice he did a large amount of literary work 
mainly in the delivery of lectures which at that time in new england were almost a part of the public system of education throughout his life he took an active part in politics he attended the whig convention at baltimore in eighteen fifty two where general scott received his nomination for the presidency and where mr choate made one of the most eloquent speeches of his life in his effort to secure the nomination for mr webster mr choate finally killed himself by overwork though a man of great physical strength and remarkable vitality no constitution could stand the strain of his intense labors in the different lines of law literature and politics his magnificent physique finally broke down he died on july thirteenth eighteen fifty nine being not quite sixty years his death was an important public event in the public press at many public meetings throughout the country and by public men of the highest distinction his death was treated as a public misfortune in his day he rendered distinguished public services he had the capacities and the interests which fitted him to be a great statesman had it not been for our system of short terms and rotation in office mr choate would probably have remained in public life from the time of his entry into congress would have been a most valuable public servant and would have left a great reputation as a statesman as it was he left so far as now appears only the ephemeral reputation of a great advocate this scanty sketch can best be closed by a quotation from the address of richard h dana at the meeting of the boston bar held just after mr choate's death that extract will show the judgment of mr choate which was held by the giants among whom he lived and of whom he was the leader the wine of life is drawn the golden bowl is broken the age of miracles has passed the day of inspiration is over the great conqueror unseen and irresistible has broken into our temple and has carried off the vessels of gold the vessels of silver the precious stones the jewels and the ivory and like the priests of the temple of jerusalem after the invasion from babylon we must content ourselves as we can with vessels of wood and of stone and of iron with such broken phrases as these mr chairman perhaps not altogether just to the living we endeavor to express the emotions natural to this hour of our bereavement talent industry eloquence and learning there are still and always will be at the bar of boston but if i say that the age of miracles has passed that the day of inspiration is over if i cannot realize that in this place where we now are the cloth of gold was spread and a banquet set fit for the gods i know sir you will excuse it any one who has lived with him and now survives him will excuse it any one who like the youth in wordsworth's ode 
by the vision splendid is on his way attended at length perceives it die away and fade into the light of common day it will also tend to secure justice to mr choate's memory if there be here recorded the statement by judge benjamin r curtis of the judgment of the men of mr choate's own profession as to the moral standards by which mr choate was governed in his practice judge curtis said in his address at the same meeting of the boston bar i desire therefore on this occasion and in this presence to declare our appreciation of the injustice which would be done to this great and eloquent advocate by attributing to him any want of loyalty to truth or any deference to wrong because he employed all his great powers and attainments and used to the utmost his consummate skill and eloquence in exhibiting and enforcing the comparative merits of one side of the cases in which he acted in doing so he but did his duty if other people did theirs the administration of justice was secured end of section sixteen